Chapter 23 of Laramie Holds the Range by Frank Spearman. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. Chapter 23 Kate Rides. In strict point of fact, Laramie had left the room across the hall and at that particular moment was sitting down for a late supper at Belle Shockley's, whither Saudi and Lefevre had dragged him from the hotel. Carpy had come with them. At the table, after Laramie had told part of his story, the talk, genial to cheerfulness, was largely professional criticism of the shot across the crazy woman. The technical disadvantages of shooting uphill, the tendency to over-elevate for such shots, the difficulty of catching the pace and speed of a horse, all supplied judicial observations for Lefevre and Saudi while Laramie, so nearly the victim, leaving the topic to these sleepy-cat gun pundits, conferred with Carpy about the care of gunshot wounds, and protested against Flatnose George and the Museum of Horrors in the doctor's office. "'But I want to tell you, boys,' remarked the doctor, when the talk turned on the discomfiture of the enemy group, "'what Barb asked me tonight, this is on the dead.' The doctor looked around to include Belle, who was standing with folded arms, her back against the sideboard and listening to the conversation in his injunction of secrecy. "'He came to me at the hotel, Doc,' says Barb. "'I want to ask you a question. There's stories circulating around about Laramie's getting shot this morning on his way into town. Has Laramie been to you to get fixed up at all?' "'Well, Barb,' I says, "'it's not really a fair question for me to answer. "'You know that. "'But since you spoke about it, "'Jim was in a while ago. "'Was he in, eh? "'For a few minutes. "'Hit?' "'That I couldn't say. "'What he asked for, Barb, "'was a bottle of Perry Davis's painkiller. "'Said the rheumatiz was getting him to beat the band. "'Carpy paused. "'Rheumatiz,' says Barb. He didn't stop to swear. He just bit his old cigar right square in two in the middle, dropped one end on the floor, and stamped on it. The doctor leaned forward and spoke to Laramie. How is Longhorn, Jim? Laramie looked troubled. If it wasn't for dragging you into it, I'd ask you to go out and see him. Jim, a doctor's place is where he's needed. I left a twenty-dollar gold piece in your medicine chest for the stuff I took. You go to hell. The doctor pulled a handful of money from his pocket and threw a double eagle at Laramie. There's your gold piece. Bell, look at them fellers, exclaimed Saudi moodily. Pockets loaded. I never had more than twenty dollars at one time in my life. My mother told me to take care of the pennies and the dollars would take care of themselves. The blame dollars wouldn't do it. I took care of the pennies. I've got them yet. It's all I've got. Jim, I'll match you for that gold piece. Gamblers never have a cent, commented Belle darkly. That gold piece, exclaimed Laramie, is not my money, Harry. It's Carpy's money, and he'll keep it if I have to make him swallow it. That's not the question, declared Carpy. Did you get what you wanted? Laramie told him he did. And by the great Jehoshaphat, added the doctor, you bumped into Kate Doubleday. 
"'What else did you expect?' retorted Laramie, not pleased at the recollection. Carpy, throwing back his head, laughed well. "'After Kate Doubleday told me she was going for the dressings herself, I says to myself, "'There'll be two people in my house tonight, a man and a woman. I hope to God they don't meet.' Jim, intervened Bell, you ought to get Abe Hawk to a hospital. He's got to get him to one, affirmed Lefevre. I've seen that man, he added emphatically. I know. How's he going to do it, inquired Carpy, without starting the fight all over again? Lefevre stuck to his ground. Get him down to Sleepy Cat in the night, he insisted. Can he ride? asked Saudi. He may have to have help said laramie there's a moon right now they'd pick you off like rabbits objected saudi and they've got that whole trail patrolled to the crazy woman they're watching this town like cats you'll have to waste a lot of ammunition to get abe to a hospital from all i hear observed carpy if abe gets any more lead in him you won't need to take him to the hospital he'll be ready to head straight for the undertaker's We've got to wait either for a late moon or a rainy night. Then we'll get busy, suggested Lefevre. He might die while you're waiting, interposed Carpy. Lefevre could not be subdued. Not as quick as he'd die if Van Horn's bunch caught sight of him on the road, he said sententiously. We'll get him down, and he won't die either. Well, pay for your supper, boys, and let's get away, said Carpy. I want some sleep. But for Lefevre and Saudi, there was little sleep that night. The echoes of the fatal shot, almost fatal as it proved, to the prestige of the enemy were being discussed pretty much everywhere in Sleepy Cat, and wherever men that night assembled in public places, Saudi and Lefevre swaggered in and out at least once. The pair looked wise, spoke obscurely, looked the crowd, large or small, over critically, played an occasional restrained and brief finger tattoo on the butts of their bolstered guns, and listened condescendingly to everyone that had a theory to advance, a reminiscence to offer or a propitiating drink to suggest. Wherever they could induce him to go, they dragged Laramie at once as an exhibit and a defy. But Laramie objected to the thoroughness with which his companions essayed to cover the territory, and unfeelingly withdrew from the party to go to bed. Saudi and company, undismayed by the defection, continued to haunt the high places until the last sympathizer with Van Horn and company had been challenged and bullied or silenced. But the differing sympathies on the situation in Sleepy Cat were not to be adjusted in a single night, either by force or persuasion. The whole town took sides, and the cattlemen found the most defenders. What might be designated, but with modesty, as big business in Sleepy Cat, stood stubbornly, despite the violence of their methods, with Van Horn, Doubleday, and their friends. The interest of such business lay with the men that bought the most supplies. The banks and the merchants were pretty much aligned on one side. 
the surgeon of the town professed neutrality at least as regarded operations for he needed to administer to both factions harry tennyson as dealer of the big game in town and owner of the big hotel was of necessity neutral though men like himself and carpy were rightly suspected of leaning toward laramie if not even as far as toward abe hawk the open sympathizers of the falling wall men were among trainmen liverymen the clerks the barbers and bartenders and those who could be usually counted as again the government meantime the element of mystery in the still unclosed tragedy of the upper country concerned the disappearance of hawk and this naturally centered about laramie none but he knew to a certainty the fate of the redoubtable old cowboy so long a range favorite and whenever laramie appeared in town speculation at once revived every feature of the situation and kate doubleday when she came to sleepy cat whether she would or not could not escape the talk concerning the falling wall feud loyalty to her own and the intense partisanship of her nature combined to urge her to sympathize with the fight of the range owners against the falling wall men but in this attitude bell shockley was a trial to kate bell would not drag in the subject of the fight but she never avoided it and kate even against her inclination seemed impelled to speak of the subject with bell she instinctively felt that bell's sympathies were with the other side and felt just as strongly in her impulsiveness that bell should be set right about rustlers and their friends meaning always by the latter jim laramie bell stubborn but more contained clung to her own views though she rarely talked back the attempt to assassinate laramie had intensified everyone's feelings and for days only a spark on that subject was needed to fire more than one sleepy cat powder magazine one afternoon rain caught kate in at bell's and kept her until almost dark from starting for home and one magazine did explode the two women were sitting on the porch watching the shower mcalpin on his way uptown from the barn had stopped at bell's a moment for shelter i'll tell you kate said bell after listening as patiently as she could to what kate had to say about the falling wall fight and its consequences i like you i can't help liking you but the only reason you talk the way you do is because you haven't lived in this country long you don't know this country you don't know the people mcalpin nodded strongly that's so that's true i at least know common honesty i hope but you don't know anything at all of what you're talking about insisted bell and if you think i'm ever going to agree with you that it was right for van horn and your father and their friends to take a bunch of texas men up into the falling wall and shoot and burn men because they're rustlers you're very much mistaken and i can tell you the people of this country won't agree with you either no matter what some folks in this town may say to tickle your ears do you mean to say you stand up for thieves too asked kate hotly 
McAlpin looked apprehensively out at the clouds. Belle twitched her shoulders. You needn't be so high and mighty about it, she retorted. No, I don't. And I don't stand up for burning men alive because they brand mavericks. You talk very fierce, like everybody up your way. But if Abe Hawk or Jim Laramie walked in here this minute, you wouldn't agree to have them shot down. And don't you forget it, Jim Laramie doesn't claim a hoof of anybody's cattle but his own. Kate would not back down. Why did they call him King of the Rustlers? she demanded. King of the Rustlers? Nothing, echoed Bell in disgust. That's barroom talk. No decent man ever accused him of branding so much as a horse hair that didn't belong to him. But his reputation is he's not very slow when it comes to shooting, either, declared Kate. McAlpin thought it was time for oil on the waters. You've got to make allowances, he urged with dignity. Ten years ago, less than that even, they was all pretty quick on the trigger in this country. Jim was a kid and he had to travel with the bunch. And he was quicker than any of them, interposed Bell defiantly. Wasn't he, Mac? McAlpin was for moderation and better feeling. Well, he admitted gravely, full as quick, I guess. It seems to me, observed Kate, still resentful, as if men here are pretty quick yet. Oh, no, interposed McAlpin at once. Oh, no, not special nowadays. More talking there used to be, heap more. Bring over my pony, Mr. McAlpin, will you? asked Kate, very much irritated. McAlpin looked surprised. You wouldn't be riding home tonight. Yes, replied Kate sharply. I would. As McAlpin started on his way, she turned on Bell. And you mustn't forget, Bell, that vigilantes, no matter whether they do make mistakes or go too far, have built this country up and made it safe to live in. Bell's face took on a weariness. Oh, no, not always safe to live in, sometimes safe to make money in. There's nothing I'm so sick of hearing as this vigilante stuff. The vigilante crowd are mostly big thieves. The rustlers, little thieves. That's about all the difference I can see. Well, is there any difference between being a rustler and protecting and being the friend of one? Bell's restraint broke. You'd better set your own house in order before you criticize me or Jim Laramie. He's never yet tried to assassinate anybody. Neither has my father nor the men that raided the falling wall. Don't you know, demanded Bell indignantly, that the men who raided the falling wall are the men that tried to murder Laramie? I don't believe it, said Kate flatly. Father doesn't believe anybody tried to murder him. Bell's wrath bubbled over. Your father's as deep in it as anybody. She could have bitten her tongue off the instant she uttered the angry words, but they were out. Kate sprang to her feet. Even Bell, used to shocks and encounters, was silenced by the look that met her. For a moment the angry girl did not utter a word, but if her eyes were daggers, Bell would have been transfixed. Kate's breast rose sharply, and she spoke low and fast. How dare you accuse my father of such a thing? Bell, though cowed, was defiant. 
I dare say just what I believe to be true. What proof have you? I don't need proof for what everybody knows. You say what is absolutely false. Kate's tranquil eyes were aflame. She stood child indeed of her old father. Belle had more than once doubted whether Kate could be the daughter of such a man. She never doubted it after that scene on the day of the rain. Barb himself would have waited on his daughter's words. You're glad to listen to the stories of our enemies, she almost panted, because they're your friends. You're welcome to them. But my father's enemies are my enemies, and I know now where to place you. White with anger as she was herself, Belle, older and more controlled, tried to allay the storm she had raised. I didn't meant to hurt you, Kate, she protested. You drove me too far. I'm glad I did, returned Kate wickedly as she stepped back into the living room, pinned on her hat, and made ready as fast as possible to go. I know you in your true colors. Well, whether I'm right or wrong, you'll find my colors don't fade and don't change. A boy stood at the gate with Kate's pony. The two women were again on the porch. Belle looked at the sky. The rain had abated, but the mountains were black. Now, Kate, what are you going to do? Kate had walked out and was indignantly throwing the lines over her horse's neck. I'm going home, she answered as sharply as the words could be spoken. Belle crossed the sidewalk to her side. This is a poor time of day for a long ride. We've quarreled, I know, but don't try a mountain trail a night like this. The rain isn't over yet. I'll be home before it starts again, returned Kate, springing into the saddle. I'm sick of this town and everybody in it. So saying, she struck her horse with the lines and headed for the mountains. End of chapter 23